facing yet another summit. I have a friend uh, that he was kind of had this, this, this goal to climb a bunch of different mountains, all right, a bunch of different mountains. And he tried to, to chronicle that on Facebook. It's a small social network where people don't spend much time on whatsoever. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, you're like, yes, my mother spends a lot of time on it. It's okay. Things change. But I remember just following him as he would say, hey, climb this mountain today. Hey, climb that mountain today. Hey, took this path today. Hey, did this hike today. I'm like, man, you are a busy guy with a lot of time, it seems, right? Thought about it. But in life, we always face mountains, don't we? Remember last week I told you about the statistic that really only 6% of the world is comprised of mountains, 6%. And when you think about it in life, about 6% of the time is when we're facing really, 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 really hard things. Like super, super hard. You know what I'm saying by that? There's other things like, ah, oh, my shower was cold this morning. Hashtag first world problems, okay? Uh, it, get a new hot water heater. You got plenty of money. Go buy one. You'll be good to go tomorrow, okay? But you think about it. Uh, there's, always, there's always mountains that we face throughout life. And it's not every single day that we face one. But what we want to do is equip you so that you have the playbook, that you have the answers, that you have the right equipment when that mountain comes into your life so that you can not only look at it from the bottom, but trek it all the way up, get to the summit and have a story to tell in the end. I like what John said uh, as, he, as he cited Christ's words in verse 16, uh, excuse me, chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Mm, what an encouraging message already. In this world, you will have trouble. All of a sudden, there's a shouting match because they're amening, okay? Uh, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. And I split the scripture for a reason, to put this last. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, right? He gave the peace first, but I want us to understand that there will be troubles and still peace will be at the end as well. So I, Justin Myers, am also sharing these things with you today and over the next couple weeks so that when you face these mountains, you will be properly equipped and understand that God is with you and that you have overcome, right? You have overcome. Um, So today, as we talk about the future success and how God will enable you and all of us to overcome, I want us to focus on a time in one of scripture's most well-known folks and why he was so noted. Who is this guy? He was a very well-known prophet in the Old Testament that was characterized as a pretty dramatic individual with a pretty action-packed life. When we read about him in Scripture, we see a guy, a guy with a single-minded focus on God and that which God had required of him. He was a guy that was sent to confront, not comfort. Often the job of a, of a prophet in the Old Testament. This was not some glorious job that everybody signed up for. This was a job that you were appointed to by God as a prophet. He witnessed some pretty amazing things in his life and his time here on earth and even appeared with Moses and Jesus in the New Testament. This guy also had some intense counters on a couple mountains in his lifetime as well. The one mountain I want us to speak to mostly today is that the Mount of Mount Carmel. And we call it the Mount of Victory. And this man, his name is Elijah. Elijah. Let me ask you, let me, let me, let's be real. Have you ever felt defeated? You hear the word victory and automatically you think, man, I can't think about how many times I've felt defeated in my life. Maybe, maybe you even feel defeated today. Maybe you're at a 6% point, right? You're at a 6% point and 94%, you know, is saying, uh, I'm not here right now. 
I'm not in the lowlands. I'm in a mountain time experience. And it's not easy. Sometimes you just feel like quitting. Sometimes you feel like really quitting. I was speaking with a friend just the other day and he said, Justin, I'm tired. I'm tired. You know what I mean by that, right? The kind of tired that, that doesn't, you know, just go away with a quick cat nap in the afternoon. But those are of the Lord himself, okay? But this is the kind of tired when you're like, I'm done. I'm done. I have nothing else left to give. Well, let me tell you something. Let me tell you the truth this morning is that you're not alone in these feelings. You're not alone and you're not in this place on this mountain by yourself. People understand what it feels like to be defeated. People understand what it feels like to be alone. But today, again, we're talking about this mountain, this Mount of Victory. And there are some key moments that transpired in the life of Elijah that we can learn some very, very valuable lessons from today. Some extremely valuable lessons from him and how he obtained victory in his life as well. Remember, like John said, Jesus has overcome the world, which means... He wins, and so do we. So let's take a brief look at the life of Elijah and see how he obtained the victory meant for him amidst the troubles of life. We see the first mention of Elijah in 1 Kings 17.1 as we hear him speak for the Lord with the following words. Now Elijah the Tishbite, the Old Testament terminology is always wonderful, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, uh, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few few years except at my word. It's not underlined like that in Scripture. There's just slight emphasis added uh, by the pastor, okay? But we understand uh, who he is by his first experience and his first appearance in the word. When you think about him, this guy, this guy is unique. This guy is different. And this guy has some power within him because God is with him. Remember, he was here to confront, not comfort. And this was one of those times. Think about this message. Think about what he's saying here. There will be no rain. There will be no vitality. There will be no life, basically. Correct? You know what I'm saying? There will be nothing. How long did this last? Three years. So this king, his name Ahab, really didn't like this message too much. Really wasn't a big fan, okay, of Elijah. Why? Because this guy told rain to go away, basically. Why? Because people needed to be humble. Why? Because people needed to experience God. He wasn't a popular character that day in Scripture. Think about it. Ahab, this king, trying to run a kingdom. And all of a sudden, this dude rolls in saying, hey, guess what? No rain for three years. Hey, I hope you have a great tenure. Imagine that. Do you think Ahab would be a little upset? Just slightly. Just slightly, okay? Have you ever had somebody, you may be a, a leader or you may be a, a teacher, or you may be a professional that you, you know, people serve under you. Can you imagine somebody wrecking everything? <laughs> you guys are like, oh yeah, their name is, okay, and you make a list. All right, now pray for them, okay? That's the key. Don't hurt them and don't hate them, but pray for them. But Elijah was this unliked guy and Ahab's anger grew. God told Elijah so, to go hide for protection. So he did just that. And scripture tells us that he hid in a place called Kareth Ravine, where he was fed by ravens. Now, here I got to stop here for a second, okay? I have friend, no, I have friends from Baltimore in town, all right? Family from Baltimore in town. And um, if we were to read this scripture in Ellicott City, where I was at before, you would hear like a, a loud roar, okay? 
But God has delivered us. Come on, somebody. God has delivered Kara and I to the land of Pittsburgh. We're the land of, yes, this, is, this relationship here is a miracle in and of itself, okay? Baltimore and Pittsburgh, okay? God can do miracles. Come on, somebody, okay? But here's the thing. We, we see here that, that he was fed by ravens. You'll never see that again in Scripture, only Steeler fans, okay? Um, but we see that God does the miraculous for him. The miraculous for him right off the bat, right off the bat, right in the beginning of his ministry career. Which leads me to my first observation of how we obtain victory in the midst of trouble. And it goes like this. Our greatest victories come by way of obedience. You may be thinking, didn't we talk about this last week? Let me ask you this. Were there moments even in your life in this past week that you lacked obedience? I sure did. Let me tell you about all of the bonbons, not really bonbons, but all of the snacks. Okay, we had a, a tremendous cookout the other night. Okay, an amazing cookout here. All right, there was a problem. This lady named Bambi, she's a sweetheart, literally made this cake, this cake for some that they're allergic to, and for others that you would think I was allergic to it by the way my stomach swole after I, I took about a quarter of the bad boy. Okay. All right, obedience is hard, and it sometimes can lead to obesity. All right, just check right here. Be careful with that. But we see in our lives that our greatest victories come by way of obedience, and we see this truth in the life of Elijah. First Kings seventeen five and 6, we read this. So he did what the Lord had told him. Like I read before, he went to Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. He stayed there, and the Steelers brought him bread and meat in the morning. There must be a typo. Um, in the morning and in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Obedience. He did what he was supposed to do. He did what he was supposed to do. When it comes to getting our victories through obedience, there's a couple things that we, we can learn if we look at the life of Elijah, if we choose to. Number one, we have to be willing to say hard things. Remember, he was a prophet that was sent to confront, not comfort. So what does he say right off the bat? Hey, by the way, Ahab, next three years are going to stink pretty bad for you because guess what? It's shutting down, okay? The water supply, say goodbye, okay? You have to be willing sometimes to say hard things. And Elijah's word, what came from his mouth, literally changed a kingdom, changed a land because he was willing to say hard things. Sometimes, okay, listen to me. This is a personal struggle. All right. You're like, are we going to get vulnerable in here? I didn't come to get vulnerable up in church. Okay. I just wanted to show up and leave and not be changed. Okay. For me though, let me be real with you. I love to say yes. I hate to say no. Anybody with me on that? You may have heard that before already. I see that hand sister. Okay. Draw a circle, pray it out. Okay. But I'm telling you, I want, I want to help everybody. You know, I want to do anything I can for anyone. What do I always tell you when you leave me? Give me a holler if you need anything, right? How many times you heard that? You guys are like, I'm done hearing that, okay? I'm not going to holler. I'm not, I don't live in a holler. I live in Morgantown. I live in town, okay? Morgantown, town. Okay, I get it. But it's very hard to say. It's very hard to say hard things, isn't it? And sometimes the hardest thing to say is no. Why? Because when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. You're saying yes to obedience. You're saying yes to God. You're saying yes to what he prefers for your life, his preferred will. Remember that when we talked about teach us to pray? His will be done. His preferred 
will. It's hard for us sometimes to do that. But number two, we must be willing to do hard things. It's not enough just to be obedient with our mouths, but also with our feet. First Kings 18, 1 and the beginning of verse 2 says this. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Remember, this guy was hot on Elijah's tail, did not like him whatsoever, straight up ruined his kingdom for the most part, if you think about it. If you can't provide life, you can't provide anything. Who does it fall on? The king, right? So you see uh, Elijah then being told by God, okay, you know the guy that you know that, that you ruined his life? Remember that whole? He's like, yeah, I can't forget. It's been three years. It's been really tough for me. Thanks a lot, God. Okay? He says, I want you to go back to him, and I want you to let him know that it's going to rain again. It's going to rain, and it's going to be by your word, right? Think about it. It's going to be by you saying something, but also you doing something. If you want victory in your life, you have to be willing, like I said before, to say no. But you have to, have to also be willing to stop going and doing the things that really hold back devout obedience to God. It's a process. It's a process, but it's important. As we read in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, we see the mention of a man named Obadiah. He was a God-fearing man who even helped hide away 100 of God's prophets in the caves so they would not perish under the demands the demands of Ahab's wife, Jezebel. She was an evil woman who wanted to systematically kill all of God's prophets. She also was a big leader in Baal worship, uh, in this Baal worship movement. So as we see in the situation and as it begins to heat up in chapter 18, we find ourselves with an angry Ahab that has just called upon 850 pagan prophets that sit at his wife's table because he was confronted by Elijah about worshiping these pagan gods. They're called together for a showdown. 850 prophets of dead gods, okay, to one prophet of God, a living God, that is very much alive and well. So we see this challenge in 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 23. Read with me, not out loud, on your screen. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut into pieces and put it on, uh, put on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God, lowercase g, and I will call in the name of the Lord. Okay, all caps. The God who answers by fire, right, lowercase g, he is God, uppercase g. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Okay. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Wow, that much agreement. Can you imagine that in a church? If you had 850 people say, that's good. Okay. Perhaps. Hold on, make sure I didn't mess it up here. So they took the bull, given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god, lowercase g. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Okay, there's other translations for that that are even funnier. That Maybe he's, on, he's in the bathroom, okay, is what he was saying. <laughs> Literally, it's funny. Okay. Maybe he is sleeping, must be awake. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, till the blood flowed. Mid, midday passed. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time 
for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, this is where it changes, come here to me. They came to him and they repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sails of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. He said, Do it a third time. This time he ordered them. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. That's amazing. Can you imagine seeing this? Now, this is kind of hard when you think back to Old Testament stuff, right? Some of you guys are like, New Testament's a little bit easier for me. I like that. Jesus, I'm good. Sacrificial lamb, perfect. Now you're talking about cutting up bulls and stuff and making altars. This is kind of weird, okay? Symbolic, if you think about it in this respect. Symbolic of the once and for all, like I said before, sacrificial lamb. But also a time when, when Elijah's like, you know what? I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be obedient. And I'm going to do what God says. He said, do it again. Do it again. You see this picture of a completely saturated, impossible situation. Are you with me? These guys, these, these guys, these other pagan, you know, prophets all day long did whatever they could to get their God to show up. And then you see Elijah set the scene, set the scene for one of the greatest victories that we know. The second thing I want to share with you is this. Our greatest victories happen when we pray. Remember, he set the scene. He set the altar. He got everything ready. And we see in 1 Kings 18, 36 through 37, we see what this prayer looked like. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God and Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. He says, answer me, O Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, uppercase G, and that you are turning their hearts back again. He steps up and he prays. I don't know if you're anything like me, if you're anything like me, but this is when I slip into the do mode. This is when I frantically am, am scattered and, and frantically, you know, going everywhere and doing everything that I can so that I can fix a situation. Anybody with me? Am I the only one? I like closing drawers in life. What does that mean? I like things to be final. I like things to be closed out. I like things to be understood. I like things to just work. Why can't it just work? Because I'm trying to do it. What God is saying to us that, look, if you really want victory, you got to pray and you got to pray in my name. You got to pray in my name. Why? Because when we do that, he shows up in an amazing way. All of the odds were stacked against Elijah, but God still showed up because Elijah had a conversation with God about what was going on in his life. And God chose to show up. What are you believing for? 
What are you believing for God to do in your life? What are you believing for God to do in your kids' lives? What are you believing for him to do in your work situation? And even the scary thing called finances. What are you believing for? What do you want God to do to make a difference? It happens when we pray. It happens when we pray. But it doesn't seem like we're doing much when we're praying, does it? Doesn't it feel like it's a waste of time sometimes? Anybody with me? You're like, you're not supposed to talk about that in church. Why? Because a lot of times with prayer, we don't see immediate results. We don't see things happen, right? We don't see what happened here. Fire fall from heaven, okay? Fall from heaven, completely consumed everything, even licked up the water that was in the, the trench that was around this sacrifice. These people knew that day that God was real and that he was in charge because how he showed up in that moment. We don't often see fire fall from heaven. Have you ever seen that? Okay, because can you take me there? I want to see it too, all right? I, I'm still like that little kid. I love playing with fire, okay? I love watching things burn, all right? Sometimes, not homes or anything like There's no problems there. Don't worry, okay? Um, campfire's good. That's kosher. Even playing with a lighter sometimes, I still, I still enjoy it. It's warm. It's yummy, okay? But the thing is this. I have never seen fire fall from heaven. I have never seen, you know, typically an immediate response like that. He believed what he was praying for. He believed and he knew that God would show up. Why? Because God had told him to do something crazy. Something crazy. So we see Elijah after he had called fire from heaven tell Ahab to go down from the mountain, this mountain of victory, because this is what was going to happen as it was spoken by Elijah, that it was about to rain. It was about to rain. So you need to go on home, take your chariot before you get stuck and go on home, okay? God showed up. So Ahab... Going home. Go. He kind of sits around for a moment. You ever, you ever had those kind of moments where you're telling your kids to go clean up your room and they're like, was it Greek? Maybe Hebrew. I don't know either language. But go on, clean your room. Go on home. And he just almost like stands there because God showed up in an amazing way. So what does Elijah do? He gets really excited and runs six miles back to Jezreel from Mount Carmel just so that he can give the accurate take on what happened on that mountain. To give Ahab an opportunity to still say, uppercase G, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel is the God. I'll turn. I'll listen. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But he couldn't because he had Jezebel in his life and in his house. And that changed everything. At the same time, something changes in the heart of Elijah. This is going to lead to our third um, observation. When we read this in chapter 19, verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say this, May the gods, lowercase g, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make you like that, that, that of one of them. Because he took out all of the prophets, all of them. If you're not like them by tomorrow. So what happened? What was Elijah's response? He was afraid. You see it in verse 3. He was afraid. He was afraid. He was, he was stricken with fear. And what did he do? He ran for his life. He called fire down from heaven. And then he's got his tail tucked between his legs, running away. How does that happen? Do you want me to tell you how? Because sometimes our greatest victories can take place before our biggest defeat. Sometimes we're on the mountaintop and we're like, that's what's up. God showed up. 
me one, devil zero. You see what I'm saying by that? And we just put the scorecard out and we are just so stinking excited. Nothing can stop us now. But then all it takes is one person to say, hey, guess what? Guess what? That was great. I love what you did there. Man, the, the talent, the pyros, man, that was legit. Hollywood has nothing on you, Elijah. Proud. But here's the deal. I'm going to get you. I don't believe in your God. I don't believe what happened was even legit. I'm going to get you, and I'm coming after you. One moment changes everything in his life, everything. So much so that he says in chapter 19, verse 4, I have had enough, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my my ancestors. Because he was a guy that was actually standing up for God and the things that he had. What happened to him? Why this change? Why this dramatic turn from this bold man of God to this guy that was on the run by his own leading, not God's? He was tired. He was tired. He was whooped. Think about that. Can you imagine even staying around for half a day? Instead of all day watching these crazy antics go on with all these pagan folks and all this crazy stuff, just his situation that day. Can you imagine how tired he was even from that singular event? Can you imagine how tired he was because he conjured such faith to believe that God would throw down fire from heaven and consume everything? Can you imagine what that took out of him? He was not in a place to receive such criticism from someone else. He was not in a place to really, you know, walk out in his victory. Why? Because he was spent. Sometimes our greatest victories can come in the midst of our biggest defeat. Our biggest defeat. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Jesus tells us this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, don't you just need that sometimes? When life is kicking you in the face, you just need to go to Jesus. Be like, he's like, come here, come on, come on, come on. He shows you his hands, you know, you see the scars, his wrists, and, and you see, you know, the, just the, 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 the pain on his face that he carries as he enters into your suffering. And then you just feel the love as he embraces you in his presence. You're just like, like whenever I travel, okay, which can happen here and there sporadically. But one of the things I hate about leaving is leaving my family. I love, love, love my family. You know what I mean? I re- we're super tight, super tight. Kara would be sitting here today saying, mm-hmm, amen, but she's serving this morning. <laughs> she's Southern. You didn't know that from Washington, PA, just like that. Amen. <laughs> yes, Lord. She carries a hanky and she weighs it. It's good. Um, but I love, love, love my family. And I hate leaving them. I do. I really do. And I don't like to do it a lot because I don't want to leave them. I want to be there for everything. But there's no greater feeling than what I had the other night as I had all three babies around me, all of them. I was sitting on the couch. There's no greater feeling for me as daddy or for them as the babies to be surrounded, to be all up in my lap, loving on me and spending time. There's no greater feeling than looking in Kara's eyes and being with her and being with her and seeing and just talking and laughing and, and, and just hanging out together. There's no better feeling than that. My home is a place of peace. My home is a place where the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Right? That's what we need. 
that's what we need in these times. We need that type of rest, those Selah moments, those pause. And we, we think about God's goodness. And we think about how much he loves us and how much he has for us. That's what we need, but we can't do that when we're so tired. We can't do that when we're so spent. We can't do it when we lack obedience because we said yes to other things, right? We said yes to other things and inadvertently and directly no to other things as well that were more beneficial. God has victory in store for you, but sometimes it comes in the midst of our greatest defeat. Mark 2, 27, Jesus tells us this as well, and this is so important. Hear this. Hear this with me. Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. When is the last time that you rested? Come on. This is a deeply, deeply spiritual issue. Rest. When is the last time that you sat in, in daddy's presence and you just talked to him? Not, you know, dearly beloved, we've gathered here today in the presence of God. He's like, I'm right here. You don't, you don't have to do all that. But no, Lord, I want to talk to you. Lord, I bring before you my petitions. and my... You're just like, God, I'm done, man. I am so spent. He's like, come here, son. Come on. Come on. Come on. And you're like, you know the lip thing? You're crying so hard or whatever. You just can't hold it. And it's like the drain, you know, just the waterworks came out and everything's. You know what I'm talking? You ever have those times? If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. And what happened? You said no to them. It's like, I will punt you. I'm just kidding. We don't do that to kids. Remember I told you I love them. And this is a safe place. But sometimes we just need to go to daddy, climb up on his lap, and find the rest that comes with being with him. It's so important. We need Sabbath. We need Sabbath. Rick Warren, a guy that I respect as a leader, uh, and his materials on discipleship are impeccable, and he's making disciples you know, through his church and their ministry like crazy. But he says, defer daily. I don't know if it's original to him, but it's good. He said it one time or another. Defer daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. It's so important for us to, to program in our schedule time of Sabbath. If you have kids, I know it's hard. If you have a busy job, I get it. I know it's hard. All right? I get it. But it's so important for your spiritual health and vitality. You can see the difference, and you know the difference as you look back even in this last week. Times that you were on with God and times that you were off. A distinct difference. And it's so important for us as believers to be, be, in, be in Sabbath and experience Sabbath because when we experience Sabbath, we experience Him. So important. Rest. It's essential to maintaining victory. But if you find yourself in the midst of this kind of defeat or any other kinds, God still has victory in store for us. But there is something that we have to realize in this process, and is this. Our greatest victories aren't realized on our own. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Listen, your greatest victory will not happen by yourself. It will not happen by yourself. Follow with me along in chapter 19, 9 through 8. And this is an instance where we see the angel of the Lord give Elijah that rest, right? And we see this food to eat, and then we see this dialogue in chapter 19, verse 9 through 8, on yet another mountain, Mount Oreb, which is, is the same place that God used to speak to Moses. There he went into a cave and spent the night. 
And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets, your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, and this is so important, get this, follow it, go out, be obedient, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Now, he knew this could happen because it happened before, right? Stand in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, come on, you got to hear this, came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The whisper, come on, son, what are you doing here? Not necessarily in this place, in this cave, on this mountain, but what are you doing here in your life? Come on. I have in store for you tremendous victory. Why are you here? You get so caught up in all the stuff, all the the big stuff in life that you forget. I'm in the whisper, man. Why, Why are we here? Why are we at this place? Why is this dialogue even happening between you and I, Elijah? Why are you here? What are you doing here? He replied again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. We recite the same thing back to him. We say the same thing. Same thing. It's insanity. That's insanity by definition. You're doing the same thing, expecting different results. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You are not alone. We're in the middle of uh, some transition in our home, okay, the home that we rent. One of the things they're doing in our home is digging up, digging up and making way for new drainage, okay? Has anybody ever experienced that? It's fun. Yeah. When I say drainage, 48-inch drainage, okay? So there's been a process over the last couple months, which I I really love because I got to know new people and spend time with them and share God. But there's been a process where there's been a digging up and a breaking down, and all you should see our side yard now, okay? Crazy, crazy stuff, craters and all kinds of stuff everywhere. But there's a big old pile at the end of my driveway, big old pile of these 
rocks. All different kinds, all different shapes, all different sizes. And I beg to say that at one point, because this stuff is kind of like a shell rock, that when you hit it with something big, it'll break and it'll get smaller or it'll flake or it'll layer. Some of you guys that know about mining, you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? Or you know about the gas industry, whatever. You know what I'm saying here. All different kinds, all different shapes, all different sizes, but yet all rocks. And all at the end of my driveway. And all mined out of the ground together. And I think about this when I think about our lives, that God has us as one, one expression, but many parts, one expression, but still one body, one group of people, and we're not alone. You think back to Elijah as he rebuilt the altar. Why did they build altars? You may know this already because they were signs of, of where God showed up and did amazing things in our lives. And I think the hardest thing when it comes to understanding and obtaining victory in our lives is understanding this valuable lesson that you are not alone. I'm telling you, the number one MO of the enemy, the devil himself, is to isolate, to get you by yourself, to get you alone and tell you exactly what he wants to say. Because when you're by yourself, you believe it most. Who else is speaking? He'll even bring people to confirm what he's saying into your life to make you by yourself and put you alone. This is the most dangerous place to be. But I want to tell you something. What's really cool about the body is that you're never alone. And there's something that I want to challenge you guys to today is, is to being the church, to being a unified body, to being a people that bears one another burdens, bears one another's burdens, that loves God with everything in them and loves their neighbor as themselves and understand that you cannot do this alone. What I'm going to challenge you to do in just a moment is to become a living stone, to become a pillar in the house of God, to become someone that identifies with this little bucket of all different kinds of rocks from all different kinds of places in the soil beside my house, but rocks that identify and help you understand that you take with you today, I am not alone. I'm not alone. Some of you may choose this big rock because you really struggle with this, right? You really struggle with the understanding of, man, I've, there's so many times I am so alone. I'm so by myself. Some of you may just need a little bit of a smaller of a rock. Maybe you'd be like, you know what? That's a good token. That's a great reminder that I'm not by myself. I'll take that with me. You know, I even, Allie, she always does artwork. I don't know if you guys have seen it. She's always making something, building something. She took a rock the other day out of that pile, painted it, and says, love you. I keep it in my truck. And we go riding, it's on the dash where I just see a constant reminder of how much she loves me. But this is a reminder, a constant reminder. Put it in your purse, put it in your pocket even. Carry it around with you some. The big one might be a little awkward, but even put it in your pocket. It's a reminder that you will be victorious and it will happen when you're doing life with other people. You're not alone. You're not alone. That's a lie. It's a, it's a myth. It's an urban call, whatever you want. You're not. You're like, but I live, I live in a home by myself. Okay? You're not alone. 
I'm single. I'm divorced. I'm whatever. You're not alone. Nobody understands where I'm at. Okay. You're right. They may not understand, but you're not alone. You're not alone. God wants to show up in major ways, but it takes us understanding that we have to be connected to him and we have to be connected to them, whoever he puts in our lives. It's simple. You're not alone. Matt's going to come up and uh, just really strum on the guitar a little bit. But what we want to do is, as, a, as a church and as a, as a team and as a staff and, and you guys as believers, I want you to take a moment as he plays. He's going to sing uh, Overcome again. Um, and, and I want you to, to, in your seat, number one, think about where your life's set in relation to eternity. Are you going to be with him forever? Okay. Are you going to be with him forever? Are you going to fully accept the sacrifice of Christ? His life, death, resurrection, identify with that and say, I'm going to take the step to being in relationship with God through Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. So that's your first move and the most important move. But then your second move is this. Am I going to understand that after I'm with him, I need to be with them? Am I going to understand that I am not alone? Am I going to listen to this word, to this life, to this mountain of victory and understand that true victory comes by way of the blood of the lamb, the word of my testimony, and also the people that are around me, the ones that will encourage me along the way? Are you going to, are you going to believe that? Are you going to take that in, right? And also, are you going to believe that God is going to show up on your behalf? Are you going to believe that he will fulfill promises, that he will give you those victories? So you may find yourself there on the spectrum somewhere. Maybe you need a relationship. Maybe you need to redo the relationship, recommit to the things that he has for you. I don't know what it looks like, but you do. And you have to be honest with yourself because you live with yourself. I don't. Be honest with yourself and say, God, if there's anything in me that separates me from you, please take it. Consume it completely. I lay myself on the altar. Consume anything that holds me back from you. And then let me live life through you, number one. Or if you really need to just find ways to get connected and find ways to to identify, do that. But do something. And there, there should be enough in here that everybody should be able to get one. Some are bigger, some are smaller. But whatever it takes for you to remember that you're not alone, that's what I want you to do. I want you to grab one. And we have family here that will pray with you. We have family that will believe with you. Family that will say, hey, look, I've got your back and I'm with you from beginning to end. And maybe that will be you praying with us here as you hold that rock in your hand and we join together and we agree because you may have some things that we need to pray about. Maybe it's here or maybe over in the Connection Center, a conversation that you have with one of our folks where you begin to journey together. You begin to do life with an understanding that you're not alone. You're not alone. And your greatest victory is yet to be realized. And you realize you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. So what I want you to do is just close your eyes with me. And uh, what you're feeling is written on the back of your eyelids at this point. What you're feeling is, is, is alive and well in you, and it is real. It is so real. You're living. You're breathing it. You're, you're, it's it's all-encompassing. It's everything. 
And I want you just to, to just symbolically lay that on the altar. Lay that on that place where God can just call fire. He'll bring fire even to your life and consume that stuff so that you may have life in the process. So that you may have life in the process. God's saying some things to you. He's convicting you. He's showing you some things. And it's your time not to do this alone. It's your time to experience the fullness of relationship with Him and all the things that come along with it. And we want to partner with you. We want to help you know that you are not alone. And today we celebrate Pentecost because the person of the Holy Spirit came to live in us in a brand new way. And he took the most unruly member of our body, our tongue, to control in the process. Life in the Spirit is an amazing thing, and it's essential. Maybe you need a deeper walk with him. Maybe you need him to fill you up with everything that he has. Maybe you need him to to exhibit gifts in your life. That happens when we realize that we can't do it alone, and we can only do it through him. Because I promise you, he's here and he'll meet you right where you're at. And he'll help you. I'm going to pray. And uh, Pastor Rob's up here with me. Uh, Anthony is over in the Connection Center as well. Um, But I want to challenge you after you've taken matters before God, after you've prayed, to just stand, grab a rock, understand that you're not alone in that process and if you want us to pray for you here we will agree with you and if you like to to leave that's fine too you like to talk with somebody in the connection center that's wonderful as well but let's agree that god is going to be with you that you're not alone amen so god we thank you for this day we thank you god that we can look back in the Old Testament, and we can even see things that seem kind of weird and kind of funny from from some standpoints at times, God, but we can see that you were alive and well, and that it was always and still is your intent to be with us, and that you went through and, and to the greatest measure to show it as you sent your only begotten son, Jesus, that he was the once and for all sacrifice, that his blood that was spilled covers and covered everything. That it does not matter where we're at at this point, but it matters what you say about our lives and where we're going. God, we are more than conquerors. We stand on that, we believe it, and we claim it. We claim it. So God, in this moment, we get a face-to-face experience with you. We climb Mount Oreb, and we watch as your presence passes by in our lives, and we listen to that whisper. We listen to that whisper and we listen for what you have to say. And that still small voice saying that we are not alone. We have you and we have our family that's in this room and other places as well today that are surrounding us. We are not alone. We are not alone. We are not alone. So we commit our lives, we give everything to you, knowing that you have a perfect plan and a perfect will, and we say yes. 
we say yes. No matter where we're at, we say yes. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. In only his name. Amen. So take a couple minutes. Matt's going to sing. Take a couple minutes and just process. Process what you're feeling and what you feel like God's saying. And then grab a stone. If you want to leave, you can do that. Please feel free. Thank you for coming. We love you guys. Your family that we may not know completely yet, but you're in. You're here. Anything we can do, let us know. But whatever, whatever you do before you leave, grab a stone and know that you're not alone. And know that God's with you. We are too. Amen. We love you guys.